Hello everyone, welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Dan Scotland. If you're currently a medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit me up on Instagram at IamCannabisSativa. Feel free to check out our official Twitter account at Pod. You can also find and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor FM, Overcast, Radio Public, TuneIn, Stitcher, and the Google Play Music Store. Please rate and review us on iTunes, as rating and reviewing us will bump up the pod on their algorithm and put this project in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a Patreon supporter of the podcast and support us. Supporting us helps us keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. You can do this by going to www.anchor.fm slash podcast slash support. You can also support me on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash podcast. You can support this podcast for as little as $1 a month. We also have a $5 tier if you are feeling extra generous. Howdy, y'all. Hope you guys are having a very good one. So, as you could see from our previous episode, we talked with a cannabis pioneer and a craft cannabis grower, Chia Rodriguez of um, Mendocino Generations. And we had a pretty productive conversation about her, her farm, about her business, and about how they've been able to deliver quality craft cannabis over the generations. And um, we, we also extended this conversation to her, her partner and her husband, Jamie, who was willing and had extra time to sort of talk about his sort of journey with cannabis and um, what, what, and the work that they do on, on, on the farm as well in terms of trying to find the best phenotypes and trying to find the best, you know, uh, resources to create great soil and create great materials that craft cannabis can thrive under. So we had a pretty good and pretty productive conversation. I hope you guys get a lot out of it. And um, without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hello. Howdy, howdy, um, Jamie. It's, it's Dan. Hey, Dan. How's it going? It's going well. Um, how how about you? Are you feeling better? Oh, God, yeah, much better. It was kind of a rough 24-something hours, but I'm feeling a lot better today. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, so, let's see. Uh, you want, want to just, like, start from the top? Or how's like to, I think oh. that would be probably a good way to go. Yeah, 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 let's do that. Um, all right. So, um, so in terms of like, cause we, cause in the media, like people outside of California hear all sorts of different things about the Emerald Triangle. Like, um, there's been a lot of like documentaries such as Murder Mountain that have, in my opinion, been sort of sensationalist. Um, are there any sort of other misconceptions that you want to clear up for people looking in on the outside about the region that you feel you want to discuss? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that Murder Mountain was definitely a sensationalist. Um, not that murders don't happen, but I think that that is, you know, 
kind of a minority of what goes on around here. And, and I think that, you know, some misconceptions are that there's just been people here that have been growing for a long time and have like gold buried in their backyard, um, or tons of money behind them. And, and, you know, it's really been, there are, I'm sure there's people out there, but there's also just been lots of small family farms that have been building this industry and they didn't, they, you know, weren't like stashing lots of money and getting way ahead. And, and there's also feelings, I think the perception out there that there's a lot of violent crime associated with it. And there is, there is that aspect to it, but I don't think that that's, that's what's been the majority of it that is going on with the people that built this industry and the pioneers of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely like learning like that, that, you know, it's sort of like sensationalized and it's sort of that, you know, it's not, it's not all the, not all the crazy stuff that they say happens, happens. And it's just, I just feel that it's, it's part and parcel with like the sort of media and society at large still sort of stigmatizing the plant, even though we have about, I want to say it, we're going to have like 11 states legal when Illinois starts in, in January. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just the media, the media just sort of perpetuating what they've been raised with, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like I think you said about stigmatizing the plant, which I think was a good thing to point out because, you know, you can't directly associate that with the plant. Like anything can be used in a negative way and have um, negative effects like that, you know, like gold, coal, whatever, you know, it's going to be people can use it the wrong way. Like I believe in this plant as like, for me, it's kind of a spiritual plant and it's a medicine of body, mind and spirit. And like, if you're using it right, you're putting it out to the, to the world in a correct way. That's, that's not going to be a part of your sphere, but there's definitely, you know, there's a lot of money behind it. And then people that are coming in and not respecting the plant and just using it as a commodity and, um, you know, disrespecting that and putting it out there in a bad way, then you're going to get some of those other negative aspects of, of what you're seeing out there and what people are worried about um, happening, actually occurring. But I, I don't feel like that's, you know, that's, that's a, a small minority of what, what happens in this industry. Definitely. So in terms of like sourcing, like the best genetics and finding the best sort of, strains or phenotypes or is there like any advice you have for people that are seeking to sort of pheno hunt or or, or whatnot um what are some of the ways you do it uh, so some of the ways i do it like when we when i first got into it <laughs> up here um i was gifted seeds by um you know neighbors and friends from the area that had been kind of doing this for a long time um back in the 70s and and um so they they had already developed some really amazing stuff and i mean that's why the emerald triangle in mendocino county in particular got um notoriety for that and it's because they developed some pretty amazing strains and so i kind of i took those and then i would find other things that i thought were interesting other clones that people would bring in and i would take those clones in and 
cross it with the genetics that were de- developed around here and then that I was I was breeding for particular traits and just trying to breed in some other traits to make make something new and something interesting. I think other people also look to like the different cannabis cups and award winners and what's popular out there and so they'll they'll find those genetics either in clone or seed form and so that they can then build upon that and create a hybrid that you know is different than what you know they started with but have some of the same aspects and some of the same qualities that people are looking for um, to kind of continue that line and bring something new to market. So I think looking for, you know, if people are looking for what's popular out there, like looking towards the cups and there's all kinds of information online that you can find out, that stuff isn't super important to me. I just kind of look at what, um, what different, you know, aromas, effects, um, and different cannabinoid profiles, different things have, different cultivars have in order for me to want to bring that into my breeding program. Awesome. So it seems like it's sort of like a combination of like what, what was historically bred, you know, when, you know, people were first moving to the Emerald Triangle and first creating many of these strains. And then, you know, also, also people going to cup, you know, people going to sort of other growers and, you know, just sort of trying to find the best one that, that sort of works and sort of experimenting around. Um, when I was talking with Chia, she was saying that, you know, a lot of it is not really sort of by chance, but it's like, you know, you never know which ones are going to go well, but which one, like you, you may try one, you know, that you think is going to be great. And then it, you know, it isn't as great, but then you try another one that you, that you, you don't have as much as high of expectations of, but then it, it ends up, it ends up being one of the best strains you've created. Yeah, I think that's totally too, true. And maybe she was talking about, um, you know, like one specific cross and then you end up with a bunch of different phenotypes being different physical expressions, um, of that same cross. And, and there's so much that goes into that, you know, like environmental factors play a huge role, you know, in the different growers, the different microclimates, some things might do great in one area that don't do that well in another. Um, there's a study going on, they're using some of my genetics that are grown kind of all over Mendocino County in a bunch of different microclimates. They come out, you know, the same exact cutting, you know, with the different grower and different microclimates kind of express um, differently in the different areas and so taking the time to um, of course do your best to grow grow things out to the best of your ability but to also recognize that <clears throat> excuse me so um, certain cultivars like want different things right like they want different um, amounts of nutrients and they want different um different amounts of like heat or humidity some things will do well on the coast but uh won't do that well inland and especially vice versa you can't take a lot of stuff from inland and take it to an area of by like the coast where it gets foggy all the time and expect to get good results from some of these things because a lot of those are going to end up you know, getting bud rot on the coast, whereas inland they're going to grow just fine. Definitely. So, like, let's say, let's say, um, I, uh, as you know, I live in like Massachusetts, which is also a, a legal state. 
And um, so let's say like I'm, I'm in a new legal state or I just, I just managed to get property where I can grow my own cannabis. If I'm sort of like try, if I want to grow like three or four plants for the first time or so, like what advice would you have for people like that? Yeah, so if you're going on like three or four plants for your first time, I'd say like just find some good genetics that, you know, work well in your particular area and your particular microclimate. See, you know, if you can find out what other people have been doing that kind of works works well there, you know, and see if you can get some clones or some seeds from that. Um, keep your plants healthy, you know, put them in some really good quality organic soil. Um, you need to stay really on top of watching out for pests. And if you're going from clones, you should really make sure they're they're clean from the get-go. Of course, everybody that's going to sell you some clones is going to say that they're totally clean, but I think it saves a lot of trouble to do those inspections yourself. yourself. So, like, some of the higher-power jewelers loops um, can really help you spot most most of the pests that are going to be on your plants. Um, but um, having a microscope too would be helpful. Um, you can always treat your plants with something when they when you first get them. So make sure that the that they're totally clean when they first start out, and you can treat them with something like you know sulfur. Sulfur sprays will kind of kill most of the pests that that are out there. There are some things that they don't work for, like the new cannabis aphid. It seems like also being called the bong or bang aphid. It doesn't seem like sulfur sprays really work on those at all, but a lot of the mites, it'll take care of the mites. Um, so treating your plants or your clones when you first bring them into your garden, so all of a sudden it's not a big problem, it's not a huge infestation that you're trying to fight later is important. And then learning about your IPMs and like what if you're going to do is you have to pay attention to what sprays you're doing. Like you can't use sulfur and use oil or vice versa. You have to have a you have to have a certain amount of time in between those sprays, otherwise you can burn them. So like reading up and doing a little bit of research on how to treat your plants in regards to that would be really important. Um, also, a lot of pests tend to come in on nursery plants of other species. You know, like if you're bringing in um, some vegetables or some other flowers, make sure that those things don't get put next to your cannabis plants. Quarantine those, perhaps treat those as well. Um, there's also a lot of good places um, online that you can order beneficial insects from. So we tend to use a lot of beneficial insects and strategic sprays throughout the season. Um, so looking into that and seeing what beneficial insects maybe might eat some of the different mites that beneficial predatory mites that might eat a variety of the pest mites would be good to, you know, get a limited amount of those just in the variety to help keep the, uh, sorry, in the environment to help keep the the pest populations down. Um, one of the things that I see people doing um, most often, I think, when they're first starting out is really overwatering. Overwatering can lead to so many problems. And so learning to not overwater your plants because then different like nutrient issues are going to show up and you're going to be trying to diagnose your plant and thinking maybe it's dying, needs more water, and you're going to keep doing it and you're going to compound the problem. The plants really want to be watered and then they want to get, the soil needs to become, you know, fairly dry, you know, not bone dry. It needs to be some, some moisture in there for sure, but letting 
if you're going in pots, letting the pots, you know, get fairly light. You don't want to see your leaves really drooping. If you start seeing your leaves like start to droop a little bit, then you know maybe next time you need to water them a little bit sooner than that. But don't keep your pot saturated because that's going to really um, cause you more problems in the long run. Um, and don't overfeed your plants. A lot of the nutrients that are available out there, if you're going with some of the different liquids that you can buy, like most of those things, I, I think that the, the instructions, um, you can really cut down at least in half and just feed them about half of what it's asking for to be safe. Um, I've heard a lot of studies saying that you can, you know, cut them down by at least two thirds, and that's probably more like what the cannabis plant really wants. Um, but but just be careful about overwater, overwatering and over fertilizing. And then as you know, your plants progress, you need to, need to really, um, if you're growing outdoors and you're getting kind of close to harvest, um, start really paying attention to the weather because if you have some really big, um, dense flowers out there and then you've got some rain coming in, you're getting kind of close to harvest and you don't have a way to cover those plants up um, where you're getting a lot of really dewy nights and you're noticing in the morning the flowers are really wet, um, that's a, that's a, um, it's a good chance that you're going to start seeing some botrytis. And so you can spend all this time loving up your plants and taking really good care of them. They're beautiful. And then all of a sudden at the very end, you can lose a lot of that. So paying attention to things like that is important. And then also in the drying and curing process, I think people should do some reading up on that. Make sure to, when you're drying, not to take things off too wet and put them away, seal them up in any way. Um, because if they're not really dry enough to put away, then all of a sudden, like you seal them up and you come back a week or so later and look in the bag and, or whatever you chose to seal them up in a jar, whatever you're doing, and you're going to find mold developing in there. And so, um, you can you can go through all this stuff and then really um, lose it all in the last you know couple few weeks. Yeah, definitely. So it, it, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so like attention to detail, like as as in like most yeah, really. in life is key. Yeah, yeah, and definitely continue to scout your plants throughout the season, you know, and make sure that you're not getting any infestations of any type of pests because like it's easier to treat them once you first spot them versus when like it's obvious and it's causing a lot of damage on the plants. Then it becomes really hard to treat. So like, um, so going on to that sort of like that same sort of train of thought. Um, so like when, so when you first started, were there any like mistakes that you made early on that, that you, you feel that you learned from that, that other people might, that other people that are new to this might make, uh, you know, yes, of course. Man. I made all the mistakes. I think, um, you know, like with sprays, I've sprayed, uh, like oils when it got too hot that day before the plants were dry and fried a whole bunch of my plants. Um, I've put on some top dressing, um, fairly nutrient rich top dressing and then, um, compost teed right after that and burn my plants. And then some of that is some of that top dressing. They're all organic based, but they're, we're kind of time released. So things like that you have to be really careful of because if all of a sudden you put on a bunch of top dressing and then you, um, pour on a bunch of compost tea and make it all, um, available to the plant right away, you can get really bad, um, burning that's, that's hard to come back from. 
Oh God, what else have I done? You know, not scouting my plants and as well as I should have, and then having infestations that were, you know, really cut into the the harvest. Um, I what else? Let's see. Um, yeah, I think I went through um, went through learning learning overwatering the hard way and. Of course, you got to pay attention to the weather and like if you're trying to be on or the, you know, the climate in your room or outside, you know, if it's going to be cold and cloudy and you're trying to just be on a schedule or you have timers going off, the plants not necessarily have going to gone through that much water, right? So then all of a sudden you're adding a bunch more, which can lead to root rot and other um, uptake issues and throw off the pH of your soil. Um that you know, there's a lot to pay attention to. But I think some of the, some of those ones are are probably some of the the most important things that are people people are likely to make mistakes on in the beginning. Definitely. So, um, in terms of like like the sort of like the soil and like the fertilizer and maybe like equipment like water pumps, like what 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 sort of brands do you tend to use, and do you tend to recommend that others use? So for me, you know, like I, I, I kind of recommend we're we're sort of more on the regenerative tip, and we're trying to really just feed the soil and keep the biology way up. And so we tend to use a bunch of compost. We make our own compost. We also outsource um, some compost from some local um, companies. And uh, we do amend, but we also cover crops. You can get uh, soil tests done in you know most areas are going to have some lab you can take a soil sample and send it in they can kind of tell you what your soil needs has too little or too much of um, and tell you what to do about that and so feeding the soil like ideally like it's all in the soil like you don't really have to add any nutrients you don't have to fertilize that much if you've got if you're starting out with a a really alive soil that does have a good amount of organic matter and minerals in it and um, you are really just going to need water. But, you know, I think a lot of people tend towards um, just seeing there's all these different nutrient companies out there that are claiming their stuff is going to you know, make your yields X amount better. And and it's kind of easy to buy into that. Um, and in, in some ways, you know, I think folks think that it takes less work, but it actually... I think in the long run it takes more work than just developing your soil and actually costs you a lot more money. Like if you can start out with a really good organic soil that's well balanced and it's not too hot, it's already gone through its composting process and and it's kind of cooked down and, and ready for planting, You, if you have the volume of soil that you need and you can just kind of supplement with some compost tea and keep the biology going in there, um, that's going to get you through and be the easiest thing for you to deal with in the long run and be the healthiest for the plant and also um, for the earth. Definitely. So, um, like, so you, you mentioned water, like, earlier in your answer. Is there any specific, um, like, water that you use? Um, like, I, I know, like, some growers, they, they might use, like, like, you know, like, creek or spring, or spring water or whatever. Is there, like, is there any, like, things that you tend to use? Yeah, I mean, we have all rain catch water up here. We have a, um, a couple of ponds on the property. And so all of our water is rain catch. Um, you're, 
not allowed to pull, draw out of the creeks and streams in the area, you know, for good reason. And um, although, you know, the vineyards have been doing it and everything and other you know, orchards and stuff for a long time, but, you know, it's important for the ecology of the creek not to be sucking all the water out of, out of, out of them so they can allow for the salmon to be, salmon to be coming up. And, and, um, so we use all rain catch water. If folks are growing in the city, you got to pay attention to it. It's going to be um, probably treated with chlorine or chloramine, which is then going to kill some of the biology of your soil. So, um, you can get, um, some drops to take that out so you can keep the biology alive. You do want to have clean water. Clean water is, you know, is an important thing to get the plants and also paying attention to the pH of the water. There are some recent studies that say it doesn't have as much, as much effect as I previously thought, but I know kind of the rule of thumb is to shoot for like a 6.3 to a 6.5 pH on the water that you're um, giving the plants. Um, higher pHs can make it harder for the plants to uptake certain nutrients, which could cause, you know, decrease in yields. It's not necessarily going to kill your plant, but you're not going to get what you could have if you were using um, a lower pH water. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I, I, I watched this, like, um, like I want to say it was like sort of like a, like a documentary on YouTube. Um, it was by the, um, like the, the legendary Jorge Cervantes and his, his info was like very like, like useful in terms of like learning how to grow. Like I felt like after watching, like it was like about an hour or whatever, but I felt like uh-huh. I, I felt like, like, like from, from going from like, I felt like I felt like going from like not being like oh this is so intimidating I got no shot at doing this to like oh I might actually have a shot um but yeah I mean it's it's I mean there's just a lot of good resources out there and you know it's all it's like you were saying it's it's you kind of have to be a steward of your environment as well too with um you know not not drawing water you know or not 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 um ruining the environment but adding value to the environment right yeah that's so true you know like you said legendary jorge cervantes and yeah he's been around for a while and i think he's got good information you know there's there's a lot of people out there that you can that have uh good uh information that you know just pick and choose wisely wisely and I think it's just really important when you're growing a sacred plant such as this to really pay attention to the whole picture and, you know, um, consider what your, what your inputs are and what you're putting into this plant and, and what your intention is behind it. And, um, just make sure that you're doing it in as a sustainable and regenerative way and the healthiest way that you can. Awesome. So, um, like, so in like the, so, could you sort of like describe like the people like you know outside of California how like you know because we all because we know that like you guys are the first to legalize medical and then there was just like there had been activity with the with, with growers in the Emerald Triangle since like the 60s I believe but things really started to pop off in the 90s when Prop 215 passed. So do you, could you sort of describe in your own words like how like Prop 215 um, transformed the state? Um, yeah. I mean, so for what I think, you know, I, I was actually still living down in Santa Cruz when Prop 215 passed. I moved up here the next year and 
the area that we live in, um, you know, a lot of the folks have been growing on a small scale um, for, a, you know, a long time, since the early 70s, I guess, um, of the people that I knew. I know that there's others in the area that have been around since the 60s. Um, and so they'd been through, you know, pretty intense, you know, raids and camp and um, were fairly fearful in, in, in keeping things pretty small. And, and as Prop 215 passed, I think that people became a little less fearful of uh, getting in trouble for it, and it started becoming slowly, slowly becoming sort of, um, more normalized. I think a lot of people that have been growing for a long time still stayed really small, but other folks um, started coming into the area more and more then. People from out of state started becoming coming into the area and buying property and starting to grow um put in bigger grows and then you started to see the um the prices start going down and and people that have been doing it for a long time um in a smaller way and like kind of having a, a little bit of a harder time and so we came up with our idea from Mendocino generations after that that was kind of more in like 2009 ish um but that was seeing how that had led up and how it, the people that the generational farmers that had been doing it for a while were having, you know, a harder time making ends meet and wanted to do something to um, help them. So we came up with the idea we were going to originally put it in the dispensary to just kind of showcase the different um, generations of farmers and generations of unique genetics that have come out of our area to help them stay viable. Um, let, let, let's take this one. Let's take this one back. I think I went off on a tangent there. I apologize. No, no worries. Um, so, so, um, so what I think from from Prop 215 is that uh, I do think it started becoming a little bit more normalized, and people weren't as fearful. And a lot of people started coming in and started slowly, but people started coming in from out of state and putting in big grows where there were some big grows, you know, especially in more remote areas. And Mendocino and 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 the uh, um, Emerald Triangle, but more more started popping up after that happened because people weren't as fearful of uh, getting caught and what the repercussions from that would be. So that definitely had an impact on the um, generational farmers that had been doing it around here and and building the industry. Awesome. So sort of sort of like a follow up to that. Um so like I so I'm so like um I heard that like I I also watched like another sort of documentary about um cuz I remember in 2010 or whatever cuz I actually have I actually have family in California. Um I remember when like the I, I want to say the, the one before Prop 64, I think Prop 19 was sort of getting floated and um like at first there was like a lot of support for it and like the, the the month before and then like when it came a month before the initiative it looked like it was going to fail and it ended up doing so um so do you like could you sort of recount in your own words like what led to that sort of failure was were people sort of worried about the good thing that they had with prop 215 and felt that maybe um, Prop 19 would sort of ruin that, or was it was it something else? Um, you know, I think it was it was a pretty wide spectrum of reasons that that 
sailed. I think what you just said um, is definitely a part of it. And people felt like they had something with Prop 215 and kind of want, wanted to protect what they were doing. They were afraid that um, Prop 19 would turn it over to the bigger corporations way faster. And they were afraid of that. They felt like it wasn't really written properly with the protections that we really needed. And um, I think a lot of people were still uh, afraid, you know, and Eric Holder, I think, came out and said even if it passed that, like, I can I can vividly remember this being in the car, like, driving home from Santa Rosa, listening to the radio, and I think they announced that Eric Holder said that, you know, he would fight it and wasn't going to recognize it even if it passed. And so I think that that, that had some major effects on it as well. Um, yeah, people definitely wanted to um, protect their way of doing things. And I think felt fearful of, uh, um, of federal retribution against them. Yeah, definitely. Like it was like, like, like even knowing, like even like personally, like my, my sister, like um, she lived in LA at the time and now lives in um, San Francisco. But um, she, but like, I remember like asking her like a few months before and she was like, yeah, I'm going to vote. Yes. And then like, like I called her like I think a day before and then she's like no I don't I mean there's gonna be like traffic accidents and just like like I guess she was watching like the TV and like all like all what all what the what a lot of the people were saying and then Eric Holder like in that documentary and I was watching and like what you said he was like oh we're gonna crack down on it so people are like oh 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 if we legalize it we're gonna make ourselves targets so. But yeah, it's definitely just like people's minds definitely shifted. It's definitely. But, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, then like, you know, Prop 15 had been around for what, like 14 years then. And I think uh, still it's, uh, cannabis had definitely more stigmatism attached to it than it does today. And people really still thought of it more as um, an illicit drug. And also I think that that election or that vote was like during a midterm or something and like there's a lot of the older generation that votes in that unless less of the younger generation does too so that could have had an impact on it i'm not really sure but that seems to make a little sense to me yeah yeah definitely um so i guess like my last question would be um so how how did you guys sort of like like, did you have to sort of fight like local, like like local government, like municipal sort of regulations and municipal officials, or were or were they sort of cool as long as you had your paperwork in order? You know, I mean, it was mixed. Um, it was mixed. We definitely had to like put what our wants and needs were out there, and a lot of times I think it felt like it fell on deaf ears. I think that the the locals felt like they needed to do something, but still they had a lot of the stigmatism attached to it. Like I was saying before, that they assumed like all, all the people that had been growing, like just had a ton, ton of money and had to be, and were able to pay all these fees and jump through all these hoops that kept changing and were really challenging. And so it took um, a lot of time and energy from some of the local folks trying to talk to the different people like, um, the board of supervisors, et cetera, to try and get them to understand like what this was about. I think a lot of the people that were making all the rules didn't really know all the different aspects of the industry and what people were going to have to do and what implementing all these new rules was going to mean to the people that have been doing this for a while. And 
and that they assumed that the people would just be, you know, funded, the the growers would be funded enough to just do whatever and that they were going to make a ton of money in return. But it turned out that, you know, it didn't really work out that way. And it put a lot of families and people out of business and changed their whole way of life. Um, so it's been like kind of a long, slow road, but I feel like it's getting better. It's definitely getting better and there's less hoops to jump through. So on both sides, people are kind of just getting used to where things are at. Of course, there's still going to be some changing, some changes because it's a new industry, but it's, 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 it's balancing out a bit better these days. Definitely. That's, that's, that's awesome that, um, you guys were sort of able to adapt. Like it just feels like, like I like I constantly sort of talk to my like state reps and you know like we have like a cannabis control board that regulates it on a state level and I'm, I'm constantly sort of writing letters to them and you know it does feel that sometimes like okay well in my state like I would say sixty seventy percent of the time it sort of kind of falls in dead ears but then that thirty percent mm-hmm. of the time where they do listen and where you do get victories. It's just, it's, it's, it's awesome. And it's amazing when that sort of happens, but you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just like anything in life. You just sort of need persistence and whatnot. Yeah, right. Exactly. You do. You need persistence and you need to just kind of hold out and keep speaking up for what you know and what you, what you need and the other uh, members of the community needs. And it takes time, you know, like we've had to go through, um, we're starting to see some, a big shift in the board of super, supervisors here in Mendocino County and having some new folks come in that definitely understand things and are coming from a different perspective, um, than a lot of the existing board of supervisors. So I'll be really curious to see how things play out in the next couple of years here. Awesome. Um, so. So Jamie, thank thank you so much for for taking the time out of your day um, to to sort of talk about cannabis and talk about you know cultivation and all that sort of comes with it. Um, is there anything that you want to sort of plug before we go? Um, you know, is there anything I want to plug? I just want to plug that I think that uh, um, cannabis is a really amazing medicine and I really believe in it and I feel like it's something to be treated with respect and not just as a commodity and I feel like everything that goes in with it like it's a growing living being and so you need to respect that and just like I said earlier pay attention to how you're you're using it and what your intentions are behind it and um, what your inputs are and where they come from so I think it's a big it's a powerful vehicle for change. So, you know, just how you go about that. Awesome. So as so as always, we all have to start we all have to be stewards of, of nature and we all have to respect respect the plant and respect our, our the animals and the environment within within growing the plant. And, you know, we'll people will really definitely go a long way when they do that, like you said. And um yeah, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk, and um, I, I hope you have a very good um, rest of your day and a very good um, holiday you and your family. Uh, yeah, I'm totally honored, and thank you very much, and I, I hope the same for you. Um, happy holidays to you and your family. Awesome. 
Well, um, well, well, thank you very much, and um, I, I hope you have a good day. Um, peace out. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you find yourself coming around often to my podcast and want to support our humble little project, there are a few ways that you can do so. Supporting us helps us keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting and equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to HTTPS colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash i am cannabis sativa podcast slash support you can also support me on patreon at www.patreon.com slash ic sativa podcast you can support the podcast for as little as one dollar a month we also have a five dollar tier if you're feeling extra generous additionally if you wish to get in contact with us you can leave a voice message on anchor you can do this by going to www.anchor.fm slash I am Cannabis Sativa podcast and click the send voice message button and I may just play it on a future episode. You can also call and leave a voicemail at 617-466-9389. That is 617-466-9389 and I may just play it on a future episode. Feel free to try Sequoia Organics for a great source of CBD and hemp-based products. You can check them out by hitting the link https colon slash slash bit dot ly slash three three four k r v nine. And you can enter the following codes Dogtree twenty, Tincture twenty, forty percent off ISO. 15% off CBD entire store. And you can also get inexpensive CBD flour directly to your door quickly and cheaply in New England and the rest of the United States by going to HTTPS colon slash slash shop dot dot com slash question mark REF equals D Scotland. And my email to contact me is I am cannabis sativa at gmail.com. And as always, stay medicated, my friends. Peace out and ciao.